Hi folks, this is Jeremy. You're about to listen to the first half of a two-parter episode I recorded back in mid-April. The Democratic Socialists of America held their first Northwest Unity Conference here in Portland with attendees from across the Pacific Northwest. I chatted with members in town and also with Ashley Gallagher, Portland DSA member and bottom liner of the event. The second half will be posted later this week, but you can hear the whole thing now if you just sign up to support our show through Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash mic. Thank you for listening, and on with the show. And for lack of any other better ado, uh, hello and welcome again, folks. This is Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. I am your host, Jeremy, coming to you on a cold and rainy mid-April, not quite springish Portland day. Today's episode is uh, uh, being recorded not too long after the, what, first ever Northwest uh, uh, Democratic Socialists of America Northwest Unity Conference, where they had a uh, kind of like a regional get together of all uh, a bunch of different chapters um, coming together to Portland uh, last weekend to kind of um, I think both both test some you know get things prepped for the national convention, but also kind of test some some things out. Mm-hmm. And so the, I. Um, I interviewed some folks from other chapters uh, on that Sunday that I'll probably be cutting into this particular conversation, or actually, I have no idea how I'm going to edit this thing together, but I never do. (laughs) But one of the things that I have here that I want to bring in is introduce is Ashley, one of the, if not the, were you the bottom liner? Yeah. You were the bottom liner of the, um, of at least the event. So uh, if you please, could you introduce yourself to the viewing audience? Um, Hi, I'm Ashley. Um, I'm actually a relatively new Portland DSA member. Um, I became active in the political education working group last summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I got involved with this conference. So this was actually like my first big project. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'm, um, an active Portland member. Um, I love comics and, um, nerdy stuff uh it takes me a minute to warm up so sorry if i'm a little slow oh no that's fine it's this is like i said this is it's the benefit of this stuff. i mean even be better than even like college radio it's like where's we're we're not even we're not broadcasting we're going to tape which means we can fuck up all the time and then cut it out later <laughs> yeah yeah what um what have you, actually that's uh, for the uh, for the end if if you want to mention um Jacob one of my co-hosts is a, is uh, actually works in well work, attempts to work in comics sure. he's yeah. a big comics guy too mm-hmm. and um you know you talk about like what you've been reading and what you think others should check out oh yeah absolutely um so that'd be cool um well, I, I want to say like what did, uh, see what have what kind of led you to be to wanting to say you know just just say fuck it and take and and become the uh the bottom liner for it for you know in the, which of course is the you know the the uh the most charitable way possible to describe the process i guess but yeah. yeah well um so i initially got involved because um i have experience running big events um i lived in austin for 8 years 
And there I was involved with like um, kind of like a feminist nerd blog and micropress um, called Pomegranate Magazine. Mm. And we used to run like nerdy feminist fan events. Um, we ran uh, a, an event called International Sailor Moon Day for three years in a row, which is like a massive international fan event for fans of Sailor Moon to like gather in their cities and mm-hmm. just do fun stuff. So um, I felt like um, I had that skill set and um, I could use it to make something happen because um, when it comes to like theory and just like political education, even though I am a member of the political education working group, mm-hmm. um, my own education, I feel, is a little bit lacking and I'm still working on that and learning. But I think we all are. Yeah. Yeah. But I do feel like I have a strong skill set of like creating a space where people can like have fun, exchange ideas. Like that's something that I'm actually pretty good at. Mm -hmm. Um, An architecture for that. Yeah. Um, So and also um, I knew that I could help with a lot of different aspects of it, particularly the food, um, because I have this amazing friend. Um, Her name is Walker. She's a local a Portland musician, but she also runs a food business, mm-hmm. um, making uh, homemade vegan food, which is honestly insanely good. Like, oh, good. Even in Portland, the best vegan food I've ever had. Um, and I knew, and she and I have also like made food and served at like really big events, like local music festivals and stuff. So, like, I knew that, like, logistics wise and like in terms of creating this space, I could handle that. Um, so, initially, um, you know, I was just going to help out with the food. Um, the beginning of the process was a little complex because um, it was actually my comrade Sheena's idea to have a conference that would unite the entire West Coast. Right. I think so, I remember her talking mm-hmm. about that last year when we were talking about the Sunday day school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so we actually like made a trip down to the Bay to like talk to um, some leaders in San Francisco and Oakland. Um, as well as other chapters to kind of get that off the ground. Mm. Shortly after that, National involved and they, National got involved, and they were like, "Hey, we actually kind of had the same idea. We are planning this series of regional conferences to help people prepare prepare for the national convention and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Would you want to kind of take your existing idea, run with us, and do it in the Northwest region?" So that's what ended up happening. And there was a lot of back and forth um, over a few months over kind of like what the format and the content would be. Right. So come winter time, um, our schedule got way pushed up because we were initially planning to hold the conference in June or July, Mm. um, May at the earliest, um, so that it would run a couple months before the national convention. And once we got, once National and Portland kind of like came together to put this on, they were like, actually, your regional conference is going to be the first weekend of April. (laughs) Um, It was nice of them, yeah. (laughs) uh, So then it, um, you know, it became a bit of a hustle to get a venue. Um, And so then uh, I was like, okay, I, I took on that piece as well, because again, I'm, used to organizing big events mm-hmm. like i built a really good relationship with um the venue the venue they 
immediately took a liking to us. Um, oh, good. What is her title? Like the events coordinator, basically the person that does the bookings, is not herself a socialist, but is a huge Bernie fan. <laughs> oh, it helps to, helps to have an end. An end <laughs> so she, you know, we were kind of like negotiating and she was like, well, you know, if you tell me it's Bernie 2020 all the way, I'll give you this room for free and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? I'll do it. Yeah. We don't have to get into it. That's fine. I'll take it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, then, um, you know, I kind of built that relationship with them and took on the venue piece. And then um, a couple months down the line, it just turned out that um, my role became so central that it was like, well, OK, I guess I'm actually the bottom liner for this. And once that realization dawned, um, I got a lot of help from the rest of the chapter, which is really, really what um, made this thing possible. Mm. Um, Kara, who's now our secretary, I believe. Yes. Um, yes. Recently elected secretary of the chapter, um, started pulling in people that I didn't know yet because I'd only worked in one working group. Um, so she started pulling in amazing people, mostly women, um, to help me out. Um, she organized the socials, which were amazing, and I think really set the tone mm -hmm. for how well the conference went. Laura from the Labor Working Group um, uh, helped us out with coordinating the whole Solidarity Housing Project. Mm -hmm. um, and that was incredible because we were able to get everyone who requested Solidarity Housing housed with a comrade. Um, and she knocked that out in like a few days. It was incredible. Yeah, awesome. Um, Elizabeth, um, who I actually was organizing with leading up to the conference, but only actually met on the day of the social for the first time, um, took on kind of like managing the registration piece for our Portland members. Mm -hmm. um, because we were hosting National Let Us Bring a few more members um, than the other chapters. Um, so we had a lot of Portland members show up and Elizabeth helped us make sure that that all went smoothly. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, we had a lot of people just like really um, show some great solidarity and hustle and like made it happen. Yeah, it was. Uh, I attended as a representative mm -hmm. delegate. Not something. To, um, I was we were very specifically not instructed to use the word delegate because there is no voting. OK, so I think we were going with like attendees, attendee. Yeah, yes. Member, yeah, whatever, <laughs> something participating person. member, etc. Hi, how you doing? Can you give us your name and uh, where'd, you, where'd you join us from? Hi, my name is Wale. Hello, Portland, because I'm visiting Portland for some good DSA action. Yeah. And uh, I come out of Seattle. I am part of the Seattle DSA. In fact, I'm on the local council. Excellent. And we're all down here for the uh, the Northwest Unity Conference. Do you want to talk? Should we, uh, should we talk about uh, what you thought about the conference or what you're working on back in Seattle? Well, we have a few major campaigns in Seattle. In particular, of course, there's Medicare for All because nationally that's big DSA campaign. But also we're into housing because Seattle is going through a serious housing affordability crisis like a lot of uh, major cities in the United States right now. Mm -hmm. And then also we're into 
the Bernie campaign that's going to be coming, like all sorts of electoral stuff, as well as um, other electoral stuff, specifically the Sean Scott campaign. So Sean Scott is an African-American man who lives in the 4th District of Seattle and is running for uh, city council for that specific district. And so far, he's really into um, affordable housing. And and frankly, he was on the local council of DSA last year. And so we decided, hey, let's support this socialist running for city council. And this isn't the first socialist that we supported. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also supported uh, John Grant for city council, I believe, in 2017. Yes. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was 2017 or 2018. Yeah. Yeah. And that was that was a great experience. Sean was actually on John Grant's campaign, and so I think he learned a lot, and hopefully that'll translate into some pretty serious winning. What was either the chapters? I guess because like, there's a lot yeah, there's a lot going on in different chapters about you know the whole in, like endorsement versus endorsement and integrate thing. What was the um, either your thoughts or the chapters' thoughts about getting involved with those campaigns? So there have been a lot of different sentiments about these campaigns. So some people within the chapter felt as if focusing on something that seemed somewhat local, maybe to some hyper-local, such as a, a city council race, was not the best attribution of energy. Uh, however, there, there are plenty of ways for us to... Well, first off, we we ended up endorsing Sean, um, like through a democratic process, mm-hmm. and we we know that when it comes to endorsing, it can't be an endorsement of words alone. It has to be an endorsement of feet on the ground, mouths to the phone receptors on phone banking, uh, hands knocking on doors. Deeds, not words. Not, exactly. Not just the rubber stamp. Right. Because where does our power come from, right? It comes from us being people. People together, standing together. It doesn't come from like our the change in our pockets. It comes from us coming together in solidarity. Awesome. We've just more or less concluded our little, I guess, first regional unity conference. Yeah. What's been your feelings about it? Or how, did you enjoy it? Was it worthwhile? Or what's, I guess, what's your, how do you think things went? I'd say that it was especially heartening to see such fervor around the question of eco-socialism, in particular, like what we can do as a region to come together, because we have a specific history, we have all of this woodlands forestry that's cut down, and, and frankly, that's not sustainable. The soil itself is a huge carbon sink, and if we let it just degrade, then it's going to add to the carbon being in the atmosphere and add to the greenhouse effect. So ultimately, what we have to do is work together and... We know that there's a ticking time bomb in terms of global warming and and how irreversible it is. And we need to have measures that meet that sense of urgency. And, and we've all been on the same page about that. Because it is climate catastrophe, there have to be mutual aid measures. One big thing is that so I'm, I'm from New Jersey originally, lived in New York City, was there during Hurricane Sandy, and it really shut down 
like the northeastern corridor. Mm-hmm. And so disaster capitalism is one thing that happens. Like it happened during Katrina and changed the face of New Orleans. It happens in Puerto Rico. It's happening in, in, right, in real time right now. Yeah. Right. So for us to prevent disaster capitalism from getting its claws into the Pacific Northwest, what we have to do is provide disaster socialism. Because ultimately, it comes down to us providing mutual aid to people, providing to the most disenfranchised parts of our society. Because ultimately, the people who do not, who are not privileged, are going to be the people last in line for support. So that's what socialism is here to do in terms of provide solutions. And we want to model the, the world that we're building. Excellent. Um, I guess last question, should the last question be either what can folks do to get involved or, because at some point I always want to talk to some people about how, how DSA as an organization can do better at certain things. Which would you like to feel better at covering? Well, I, I think that one thing we can talk about is how we can have a more cohesive network regionally because Seattle is the center of capital in so many ways. I mean, the world's richest company, the world's richest man are all based in Seattle. And, and we get, and we also have Bill Gates there and it's pretty wild in not good ways. Uh, and so one thing that we can do because this is a center of capital, and because it is a place where people accumulate more resources is that we can support the other chapters that are less gifted in terms of capital. Like, like we have all these software developers who are DSA members in, in Seattle and that contributions should be going to the rural uh, chapters in Oregon and Washington, Alaska to, to make them grow and to have socialism happen so that these mutual aid campaigns can really be a reality. This is one of the subjects brought up in, in some of the breakout groups yesterday. What, what do you think about the concept of either like kind of like a big sister, little sister, sibling relationship between anchor chapters and smaller ones, or even do you see as a national organization developing a series of regional hubs and hmm. or even like a, you know kind of like a national parliament to work on things more than just everybody meeting once every two years either like just a steering board of 14 people or- that's a really good question i'm i'm not sure how to answer that because that's something that I, I haven't really been thinking about i think the idea of proportional representation is powerful and could encourage the right sort of democratic thinking, the right sort of democratic mechanisms within the organization. Ultimately, we have to figure out how to win in ways that include as many people as possible. And we're doing a good job of that in certain areas like goodness like what, what are we doing in chicago could you just like inject that in, into the pacific northwest i love that um but there's there are a, a lot of opportunities for us to to make some changes when it comes to chapter cooperation and inter-chapter organization i think that the best lessons we could learn are based on how 
chapters of comparable sizes have already had certain victories. Mm-hmm. Um, like, of, of comparable sizes in terms of the city that they're in, or, oh my goodness, I'm saying city, of the area where they're based. No, the me- <laughs> because not everybody is in a city. Okay. And, Expanding uh, Metroplex. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and also based on, like, how many members they have. Right. So, the the funny thing about Seattle is that we have, in some ways... A more successful, uh, you'll get me on the record saying this once, um, more successful. This is going to tape. I can cut any of this if you want. Okay. Fraternal twin in the guise of Portland DSA. So they're doing some really great work. And like the, the cities, they're of similar sizes, going through similar housing crises and so on and so forth. Like one thing that was really valuable at another event that we had regionally was a meeting with the Portland DSA and the Seattle DSA leaderships where there was an exchange of information about like what has been working for us and what hasn't. And that that's been really great and uh, I'd I'd love for that to to continue. It's almost something like we really do need to set up our own regularly periodic kibitzin, you know, just kind of like yes. session, you know, everybody everybody meet together in a room, probably somewhere, maybe Shahalis. We could do we could do it not too far from the Uncle Sam sign just for irony. And it's yeah. almost as if you have a plan there or something. <laughs> No, I, the day job used to have me. I had, I motored up and down that that stretch of I five. Yeah, and I would always snap a photo like, okay, what's right wing Uncle Sam saying today? Oh, All God. right, we're back to we're back to Agenda twenty one. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. That's um, there's a literally a, an Uncle Sam thing that we passed on our way down from Seattle for all those listeners that has like some reactionary stuff posted on it. That's uh, what happens outside of the cities. Yeah. In between those cities, you, you got plenty of reactionary sentiment. Excellent. Well, any last things you'd like to have folks know about, about either ways to get involved or ways to contact you or last, last words, I guess? Sure. So if you're interested in checking out Seattle DSA, go to seattledsa.org. We have a calendar on there at seattledsa.org slash events. And it's a really great opportunity for, um, for you to see what we're up to, see how you can get involved. If you hate your job or even if you feel, um, just not so good about your job, we have workplace organizing on Wednesday nights. And we also have plenty of socials. So we have a bunch of socials coming up in, in this next month in the Seattle metro area. And they're going to be really great to check out. You'll, you'll see that socialists know how to socialize. There we go. Excellent. Well, thank you, Willie. Thank you for your time. This has been great. Thank you. All right. Let's talk about how it went, I think, because that is sort of like the more exciting part. The planning stuff is can be pretty boring. Gotcha. Unless people want to know about that. But anyway. Uh, so, yeah, how do you think the the, the weekend ended up going? Um, I think it went really great, even better than I expected. Um, as I mentioned before, I think the first social really set the tone. It was in, We got a really nice space um, mm-hmm. in the inner east side and um the energy was really great like people were socializing and talking to people from other chapters already like it was really interesting because um you know when national was talking about their sort of portion of the programming on saturday morning they were like yeah we count people off so that 
they don't like clump together with people they know and like actually have to talk to each other. But our members from the region just like did that on their own right, yeah. on the very first night. Yeah, it's kind of it seems like it seemed the it seemed the natural thing to do. Yeah. And it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um I got to meet um folks who, you know, had been organizing for a long time, other folks who were like just getting their OCs or their chapters off the ground. Um it was a really great mix of uh, OC, both of those. Oh, OC stands for um I think ooh, I think it's I think it's organi- organizing committee. Yeah, I think it's organizing committee. So not an organizing committee like um like a union organizing committee, but an organizing committee to start a chapter. It's right. like the baby step to getting a chapter off the ground. Yes. Is my understanding. Yeah. So yeah, so folks who are just ba- you know kind of barely just beginning to start to cohere as mm-hmm. uh, even a chapter start, uh, uh, came down. Right. Yes. Um and I think it was great that there was such a mix because you could have the folks that were still kind of new to DSA and new to building a chapter mm-hmm. talk with larger chapters who have been doing this for a couple years now. Um, and on the other hand, sort of like the quote unquote veteran organizers, which like, I don't know if two years is enough yeah, I was say, that's <laughs> to kind qualify. Of, yeah. It was a veteran and, uh, scare quotes. Yeah. Um, could I think kind of like get a little, um, uh, a little reminder of like that fresh, new, excited new member energy, mm-hmm. which I think um, really can be refreshing because um, with the way that this organization has grown so fast, yep, burnout is real and widespread, and yep. it really is nice to um, sort of you know, vampirically feed off <laughs> the fresh new uh, minds a little bit, um, you know, but, and and remember why we're doing this, you know? Yep. Yeah, the, the, the new, the, the fresh new vital, vital essences. Essences. Delfling. Yeah. But yeah, um, so beyond that, you know, I think kind of having... So Saturday morning was like mostly nationals programming and, you know, um, some people really liked it. Some people were like, well, I've heard it all before, but you know, Mm. um, I think probably the thing that I got the most positive feedback about that was just like all the stuff going over the national convention because it, it, it can be so overwhelming, um, you know, that I think it helped people get a sense of like what they would be doing, like what they're expected to do like what how everything is going to go down um all the fun of parliamentary proceedings that i have to say laura fucking killed the roberts rules training i went in there and people were like laughing and having a good time which has never been my experience with roberts rules ever yeah ever and like that makes a huge difference like um uh, Sheena and I were doing a debrief kind of after the conference with the national staffers who came um, and you know they were asking us like why did you think the Roberts Rules thing went so well and it was because one Laura loves Roberts Rules she has a lot of experience with it and she made it really fun she's a great organizer she's a great facilitator and it's like that's what you need 
to pull off something that, you know, people see as like dry and boring mm -hmm. or even or just like actively um, counterproductive, which sadly is still my opinion, but I'm willing to be swayed. Um, I might share some of that opinion. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like you need really competent, um, really passionate um, organizers and facilitators mm. to pull something like that off. And I think um, that was a strength of this conference as well. Um, so, yeah, um, that was super helpful um, and amazing. Um, the regional programming, I think was the biggest hit um so on saturday afternoon we had a couple hours and four different breakout sessions mm -hmm. on regional strategies um and we had Paige talk about um electoral organizing and like her presentation was really cool because it was about beyond endorsements um how to it was basically everything you need to do as a lead up to running your own candidates like running your own members as candidates like mm -hmm. how to identify good candidates how to like build a base to like start a campaign um and she has direct experience doing that um so that was great um the political edu education um piece was great uh we had our local members um sheena and seamus present on portland's socialist foundations class um, which um, the political education working group started and itself has been a really big hit. Like people really love it. That was another project that was just like a meeting of many minds. I yeah, I was part of the first. Um, I think I was part part, uh, part of the uh, the trial batch. Yeah. How did you like it? I did. I liked it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and it's funny because again, kind of like joining that working group as a newer member, I was like, yeah, of course it makes sense to do this and. You know, I thought that, like, oh, it's kind of weird that something like this hasn't happened before. But, you know, it turns out that a lot of other chapters are still trying to figure out how to do that. Like, which, you know, was a little surprising to me, but I guess makes sense because it's like, like I said, you do need a specific set of skills and you need really talented people if yep. you're going to educate others, right? Yeah, that's then, yeah, it also speaks to one of the problems with, I think, just the scale of the, the, scale of the organization yeah. and the, the rapid growth of it is. We still haven't figured out a way yet how to how to integrate or have enough you know people talking to each other so mm -hmm. that we're not uh, to prevent refighting the same battle. You know, everybody yes. having to refight the same battle again and again and again. Yes, and that was what was so awesome about that particular breakout because you know we presented this case study of um, a successful Portland chapter like political education project. And that started a huge conversation about not only what chapters can do to like increase political education in their own chapters, but how our chapters can like work together yes. as a region to support these kind of projects. And like um, that to me is extremely exciting um, because that builds capacity, right? Like if you have these strong relationships with people in other chapters, mm -hmm. um, you know, you can learn from each other, like learn from each other's failures, learn from each other's successes and collaborate. And I am a person who loves collaboration. Um, that's why I love comics. I'm a comics writer and I love making something together with another person. Um, and I think that our chapters really should look to more stuff like this, where 
we're working across chapters in, as well as within our own chapters because, you know, y- you're going to get something out of it that you wouldn't have otherwise. Um, yeah, that, that, had, that had come up in a couple of the breakout groups of the the sharp need mm-hmm. of interchapter coordination. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even um, uh, Brandy from uh, from uh, the Heart of the Valley DSA yeah. brought the idea of regional hubs. Yes. Um, it, I met Brandy at the conference, and um, I love them. Like, they are incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, yeah, the, but, and also, yes, the, and similar the need of, especially when you want to start um, – uh, running candidates or anything like that, mm-hmm. uh, is, or even just building up, not even the new line, just building up a chapter right. of es- establishing like a, like a big sister, little sister, mm, yeah, like totally. The the the, uh, the the city, an- you know, the big city anchor chapters mm-hmm. versus all the regional ones, because mm-hmm. um, we do have to scale out. Yeah, no, that's an excellent idea. Brittany is full of incredible ideas, and like again, like us, you know, I think our regional programming was really awesome and just meeting other comrades and being completely just like blown away by their work um was immensely valuable to me and i didn't even get to do as much of that as most of the attendees because i was like behind the scenes running around blah 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 Mm -hmm. um again that's why the social component was so great because that's when i had the chance to do that um but yeah like it's um, it's really energizing, I think, to to share and connect with other chapters because it allows you to kind of like see their work from a higher level as opposed to like when we're doing our work within our chapter, it can get a little frustrating because we see everything that's wrong with it. Right. But if you're collaborating, communicating with other chapters, like you can kind of um, look at it from an outsider's perspective and be like, oh, actually, like this work that you're doing is amazing. Um, let's share yeah. strategies. Yeah, just for perspective, and, and as you said, to kind of stave off burnout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, hello, how you doing? Can you let us know who you are and uh, where you're from? Yeah, my name's Maddie. I'm with the Seattle DSA. I am actually one of Seattle's co-chairs, and I actually range from the hinterlands of Seattle shoreline for folks who are unfamiliar. I am Roy, also with Seattle DSA. I'm one of the external organizers. I'm originally from Philadelphia, but I spent several years in Chicago. Part of Chicago? Uh, Northwest Chicago. I've lived in Wicker Park, uh, Humble Park, Lincoln Park, and West Loop most recently. What era of Wicker Park? Uh, let's see, 2012 and 2017. So the uh, the damage had, had long been done. Yes. Okay, just making sure. Yeah. There, and to think there we, we there was once a, there was once a time when the fact that the real world filmed in Chicago and set up in Wicker Park was seen as was seen as like a, I guess it was correctly seen as an ill omen of bad times to come, where the point where they were even having like people would protest because they bought the house. They were across the street from, I think it's called some like bougie pizza joint called Slice or something, mm. where they all worked. And I just remember hearing, God, this is like almost 20 years ago. 
<laughs> Once upon a time, the real world mattered. It did. Not anymore, though. <laughs> Not, yeah, well, that's the thing. Is like, that's, that's the weird thing. They still they kept doing the, the real world even after Jersey Shore shows up in 2010. And like after that, it's like they, they kept doing the real world. Like, what's the point? I mean, they brought it here to Portland, and it was nothing. Yeah, it was in Seattle, actually, like on Capitol Hill, which is one of the mainstays in the Seattle area. It's actually the gayborhood, if you will. Mm-hmm. Well, it used to be since long been gentrified. Funny and, how that works, yeah. yeah. Real World came to Seattle just a couple years ago, and a couple people were pretty pissed for a while, and then it's just like, they kind of blended in, which was weird, and which kind of <laughs> says a lot about how gentrified Seattle, most of Seattle has become. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, it is, like with everything else, it has been normalized. Yes. Absolutely. This is now normal. Absolutely. We, we talked to Wale for a, a little bit, y'all were around for that. What have you been working on, or that you want more folk to know about, or... Open topic, you know, what did you think about the conference? How do you think DSA as an organization should improve? Take your pick. Oh, God. So I thought the conference was really inspiring. I love, I like that DSA is, the chapters are fairly autonomous. So hearing what other chapters are doing, what inspires people to get mobilized and get active, obviously ranges from chapter to chapter. So hearing what other people are inspired by is one of my favorite things from this past weekend. Mm-hmm. To answer that question, it's it's interesting. What we're working on, it kind of blends in a lot in, in different ways with what other folks are working on in that it kind of seems like there's a two-prong approach that the DSA is taking where some folks and even um, some indiv- individuals are working on both where there's a national approach where we're working on some national campaigns that are really important. A lot of people are gearing up to work on the Bernie campaign or have been working with the Medicare for All campaign, but secondary, um, you know, some folks have been more plugged into local fights, not saying that's a secondary issue at all. Again, some people might be working on both. So it's really interesting to see how those can interweave um, and intersect. One thing that I'm really looking forward to is how we can use the Bernie campaign or the Medicare for All campaign to work with other different campaigns within local organizations, local chapters. I talked to one of our national electoral campaign organizers about how we can better do that. So when we go canvassing for Bernie or canvassing for Medicare for All, that should always include an ask for one of our local campaigns, whether it's a mutual aid ask, whether it's asking them to come to a meeting, whether they're able to give money, because not everyone can give money, but what they're able to. There's a lot um, where we can be a little bit more dynamic, and it was really interesting to see people's ideas towards that end. And it was just great to see what other folks were working on, kind of what uh, Roy just said. Awesome. For a lot of people, everything changed in 2016. A whole lot of comfortable people really, you know, woke the fuck up. You know, it's almost like you know, one circumstances can radicalize you. Mm-hmm. What have what have you all personally found you know, on this shit in real time been like a source of life rather than just kind of like a lot of other people we might know who is kind of like demobilized and depoliticized and just kind of alienated from like any sort of mass movement. And so it's like all they can do to hashtag resistance is just kind of like watch MSNBC and just kind of like post loudly into the void. Russo scare. That's a really good question because to answer it straightforward for me, what 2016 kind of did was remind me that I'm not alone in a lot of these struggles and being politicized and that we're not polarized in feeling this way. It's not radical to want fucking free healthcare and wanting free healthcare as a right. It's not a radical idea to want our planet to survive and to stop climate change. And 2016 
kind of reminded me of that, that it's not ridiculous to to want these things. And 2020, as it's coming up, and I think this weekend kind of reminded me of that, it kind of re-reminded me of that. And like, when we work together as a collective, that's not radical either, but it's really empowering. And our, our power comes from our solidarity and our unity. And when we realize that, I truly believe anything is possible. Yeah, I mean, basically what Maddie said. <laughs> what she said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, something like right after Trump got elected for me that really and seeing everybody's reaction to it amongst my social circle it really put into perspective where my friends lie like some people are like oh wow this sucks like mom it's gonna be a weird four years and I'm like fuck is my mom gonna get deported do I have to call her every day to make sure she's like still around it's seeing people show up to DSA meetings and looking for ways to get involved that keeps me showing up and keeps me from wanting to cry every single night in despair which happens sometimes but it can happen but, but yeah that's the thing is like helping do the work Angela Davis's last book is literally called Freedom is a Constant Struggle mm-hmm. at some point yeah, it's just like through the application, through actually, um, we hate work, but it's like, no, we hate day jobs. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between a day job and one's life's work. You know, it's kind of yes. like everybody needs a, an application, something to push against. It also gives you a role. One must imagine Sisyphus happy, which is the first Camus <laughs> reference I've done on the air in at least six weeks. Um, good job, good job. What victories, or even victory, or even glorious defeats, eh? uh, projects that you've done either on your own or as a chapter or both, that have given you invigoration? Yeah, I think something that immediately comes to mind, I don't think our chapter can take credit for, but I think we've definitely tried to help in terms of visibility, is that Sean Scott, he's running for District 4 in Seattle City Council, for the Seattle City Council. He is actually the first total democracy voucher count. For those at home who don't know what a democracy voucher is, in Seattle, you get four democracy vouchers that you can spend on any citywide race. And it doesn't matter which council district or specific area in Seattle you live in, you can send them to any candidate you want. And he's gotten the most out of any candidate running for office so far and there's it's a pretty crowded field there's probably at least 20 people running across the different districts yay clown um, car yeah. and that's about sixty thousand dollars in money that regular old voters are, are giving to him socialist or not and that's pretty awesome because it's a competitive race the establishment wants him out the king county labor council chose to endorse someone else who as far as we can tell is not quite as progressive but sean's on the record for housing for a green new deal if you haven't checked out his article he recently wrote an article about the Green New Deal and just seeing the life that is kind of being uh, you know breathed into the chapter through that is, is really exciting to see. We're also seeing some life starting to bubble up and emerge with some recent campaigns that are starting around education. I'm not sure if you heard, but recently the Washington State Democrats voted. It was supposed to be a poison pill amendment. If you don't know what a poison pill amendment is, it's something that's supposed to kill a bill. Well, they did not take these amendments seriously and they passed. It was in an education bill and what these two amendments did was basically stripped collective bargaining rights for teachers and increased funding for charter schools. This Yay. is <laughs> at a time 
when two-thirds of school districts in Washington are grossly underfunded and have never been fully funded. We have librarians being cut left and right. We have a scarcity in school nurses. And so now they're doing this. And so we're gearing up for li librarian strikes, potential uh, teacher strikes, and all sorts of actions across the state. And I think that socialists are well-positioned to act as an incredible support system, not just for teachers and other education workers, but the students and parents who are going to be impacted by these cuts as well. Have you met Candy while you were down here? No, not yet, unfortunately. She was at the... I don't know if she is around, but she's been on the show a few times, too, because we did an episode last month on teacher strikes, both nationally, but also regionally, and we had a couple organizers from Vancouver, mm -hmm. you know, just above the river... Just above the Columbia yeah. River. I just realized there's two Vancouvers north of a river, <laughs> directly north of us, depending on how far you drive. But um, Candy's one of the organizers for that. Mm -hmm. Plus, that was a fun episode because I got to use liberal use of sound clips from the teacher strike episode of The Simpsons. That's amazing. Um, there was a teacher strike episode of The Simpsons. Yes. The, the, during the golden years, I think either the, I think it was like the sixth year where, where Bart, because he to stir shit agitates both Skinner and Krabappel into full-on like teacher strike and the Simpsons are really weird in that they're a Writers Guild show but in the 90s uh, there were certain members the uh, 90s politics were trash but in there's a lot of like anti-union shit like motherfuckers you are unionized you're a unionized writing staff I mean yeah you have John Schwartzwelder was one of the main writers but still anyway sorry folks if you're of a certain demographic you think in Simpsons quotes because you can't turn it off okay so we talked about that I think I guess final words if there's anything you'd like to, to mention on either like ways that folks can get involved uh, while he mentioned a couple or at contact points or inspirational terms or shout outs or whatever you like the first thing that comes to mind is socialism is winning last week was it mm -hmm. yeah last week in Chicago six did uh, they finally, was it finally confirmed that all six were? Or I think so. I'm just okay, going cool. to go ahead and say that yeah, they why are. not we're, this is a podcast let's go full yeah. bore ahead six <laughs> POC socialists won their city council races. So that's over 10% of C uh, Chicago's city council is held by socialists, yeah. which is fucking amazing. <laughs> I used to live in Chicago uh, as recently as 18 months ago. After I moved out of the district, I found out that I lived in Carlos Ramirez Rosa's district, which mm -hmm. he is fucking amazing. And I feel like I've totally missed out on going door to door and talking to people to get these people elected. But like Maddie said, we have a city council candidate in Seattle who is just as awesome as... Felix Scott, 2019.com. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> Sean Scott. Yeah, like I said, folks, check out the story in Chicago. Chicago, the city of Haymarket, and the city that fucking murdered Fred Hampton, Rustin Power, 49 years ago? No, no, almost, it was 69, 70. So anyway, yeah, awesome. Yeah, um, I would say, you know, my co-chair who spoke previously said to check out our website. I would reiterate that. We have a lot going on. Our communications team is awesome. They put out a periodical every week called the Seattle Hellhole. I want to explain the name really quick because it's hilarious. There used to be an MTV VJ named Kennedy <laughs> who since migrated over to Fox News and loves calling Seattle a socialist hellhole. Would Seattle used to be one of the most beautiful and livable cities in the world, but it has devolved into a socialist hellhole. Socialist hellhole. Socialist hellhole. Socialist hellhole. Socialist hellhole. Socialist hellhole. 
which if you've been to Seattle, you know that's going to be further from the truth. I wish it were true, but that is why our periodical is since aptly named the Seattle Hellhole. A lot of work goes into it. You know, we have fantastic writers. We have designers who have this great template that they've, uh, you know, done the layout for. I would check it out. We even have a, a recorded audio version for, of, of it. Um, so if you can't read, if you are visually impaired, you are still able to access that online. You can also check out all of our social media. We have an Instagram that's actually run by our lovely Roy here. We have a Facebook account, Twitter page, and then some of the other campaigns we have going on right now. We have an incredible amount of work going on in our immigrant justice group, in addition to our queer and feminist working group. Medicare for All is always going strong. We have, I believe it's a, a weekly canvas every weekend. Right now it's going on in the Central District in Seattle. We know that our Bernie campaign is gearing up in addition to our canvassing for Sean Scott, which usually happens on Sundays, Saturdays. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot going on. Join us. On a final note, uh, our socials are gearing up for the year. We have dry socials. We have socials that do have alcohol. If you want to help plan them, shoot us an email at info at seattledsa.org. Even if you're curious about the org, shoot us an email there as well. And thank you to Jeremy for having us on. This has been great. Excellent. Thank you very much. I just have one quick question. Hey, uh, what is the name of your podcast? It's called Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. Excellent. Yeah, the other, let's see, the other regional breakouts were um, anti-fascism and um, our uh, representative from our security, well, I guess our representative from our safety team mm. um, and uh, an attendee from Spokane mm. did a presentation together um, and it was mostly the Spokane member, Elena, who was talking about strategies for resisting anti-fascism and that was really exciting because i know spokane has a very long history of dealing with white supremacy um and that like they truly are veterans of that fight like they've been dealing with that since like you know before yeah i even like since i was a child or longer like a very long time yeah the uh i think dave newert 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 i think uh, Mm. the guy's name was his, it was a reporter writing about that all of these like, neo Nazis were moving to, were just moving, you know, moving en masse into into Idaho and like Coeur d'Alene mm, yeah. and other places mm-hmm. to to numbers that it started affecting local politics. Yeah, yeah, it's a big fucking deal. Um, and then the last one, let me think. We had electoral. Oh, I th- um, there was an eco socialism component. Mm-hmm. That's the one that I knew the least about. Um, but it's a, it's clearly a big priority for everyone. I mean, I think that um, the Pacific Northwest in particular has a really strong role to play in that fight. But I know that probably every socialist, like, you know, is worried about right. ourselves and their children <laughs> dying in flames. Uh, so, yeah, um, really great stuff. And um then on Sunday, there was an open debate, um, and the feedback that I got was that it was, like, actually really productive. Oh, good. Um, the rumor, like, sort of, like, the information that I had was that other regional conferences 
Um, there was a little more hostility in some of them. There was a little more of like um, not really getting to a strong point. Um, but I think that uh, our debate was like very comradely and also like really productive, like a lot of really interesting ideas coming out of it. Why do you think the what do you think could account for the other the other ones not going off as uh, as well? I only have a little bit of information, but I think that um, it was kind of a looser format at some of the other debates. Mm. Um, so I think that there were issues where like people were kind of like dominating the floor and like oh yeah moderators like maybe not stepping in enough to kind of like steer um the conversation into sort of like more productive channels and stuff like that yeah that's seem the thing of um actively enforce structure seems like it not letting uh you know if nothing else just you know time limits right yeah um can, can do wonders for <laughs> um not letting things either drag on or right. or uh, or fly off yeah and i mean you know, it's interesting. I, I think it was one of those things where it's like ours was, I think, the second to last one. So it's clear that by that point, there had been some lessons learned about kind of like structure. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a really important thing to think about going into the national convention, like, you know, how you set up an event or a debate or whatever um, makes as much a difference as um, who is present and active in that debate um yeah because yeah it happens it's one of those things where um guess what folks um uh structurelessness ain't always a virtue yeah <laughs> yeah at least especially at scale well yes especially at scale the problem with having too loose of a structure mm. is that the strongest voices the most strong-willed voices will dominate. And that's not always what you need to have um, a thought-provoking, healthy discussion. Mm. Um, so, something to think about. You mean like endless five-hour general meetings every night? Um, <laughs> Who does that? I don't know. Couldn't possibly give, couldn't possibly give any examples in recent history whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, how you doing? Can you state your name for the viewing audience? Okay, I'm Clifford Armstrong III, Tacoma, DSA. Awesome, thank you. I guess the, the starting thing is, what have you all been working on, or what kind of stuff have you been working on before that has really powered you, given your life, kind of like helped fight off the, uh, the constant nonstop bullshit that is modern American life? Yeah, so I'd say, one, we're both new to the DSA in particular, but um, I guess I'll start with kind of what I've been doing the last few years, maybe, just in terms of please politics or socialism or anything that you could fit in that general area. Yeah. Um, Go for it. So, one, we have like a methanol and LNG kind of, well, was methanol, now LNG plant issue in Tacoma. That's probably one of the biggest issues that most people in Tacoma would talk about if you ask them what they don't like so that's something that I, I worked with the group there on that issue for maybe a year and a half two years ish and now we're in a place where like that issue i wouldn't say necessarily taking a back seat but it grew to the point where like where there was a lot of individual groups working on an issue in their own ways it's now coalesced into like a couple 
more major groups, um, in, in, including the Puyallup tribe. And that that was one of the major things we're working on. And then since like joining the DSA, I've joined just a few of the national groups, which is like the Afro-Socialism group, the Eco-Socialism, and the Tech one. But we don't have either of those three in Tacoma. But I think I'd be most interested in the future kind of building up an eco-socialist branch or wing or committee in Tacoma because that's kind of like where I think we had the potential to kind of bring in the most members and introduce some socialistic, anti-capitalistic messaging into the environmental movement in Tacoma. It's already a big issue. There's already a lot of people who are really passionate about it, but they're not looking at it from that lens at all. It's mostly like, we don't want this here. You know, we don't like the fact that our politicians are bringing something in that people in general don't support. And then you have like the port itself and politicians who even some like unions that do want it for the jobs or you know all those other issues and so there's still a lot of work to be done there so i think that's kind of like where my head is for what's going on yeah that, that's what i would say for personally uh what's your, been your reaction or your feeling about the uh, northwest unity conference that has just been wrapping up i thought it was really cool to see what everyone is working on i think just from like a solidarity perspective it's, it's really cool to see like that you have a network of people who think like you who are in all these different communities and you know it makes you feel like you're part of something bigger which i think is something that if you have like a leftist kind of view in in politics but you're not connected to a group you could feel really isolated and that isolation i think is a really big mental health issue with people in on the left that uh and i mean like it's a isolation and kind of depression is a big issue in society in general right yeah, now like, uh, it's, as a result it's, it's, it's of all of, across the spectrum isn't it yeah yeah but i think like for a lot of folks they'll feel isolated because they they feel really passionate but don't know what to do who to talk to have anybody to connect with then just see like the president and the onslaught of kind of like growing fascism and like oh i'm not doing anything and stuff is happening and i feel they type their self-worth in it a little, a little bit so it's cool to see like other people doing stuff that like makes you feel like you're contributing and that sort of thing. Yeah, I thought it was really cool to see some of the smaller smaller chapters and not just like small chapters, but rural chapters mm -hmm. because demographically speaking, there's there's a different fight, right? We're like, yeah, there's like kind of like a rise of fascism like everywhere, but in places that are a lot more base conservative, then you have people who feel a lot more comfortable being a lot more open about their fascism and feeling like they have a lot more support for what they're doing, either like tacitly or like, implicitly just from like the police not intervening in terms of like making threats on people and all that sort of stuff so i think it, it's nice to see what folks are working on and then like know that you do have a frame of reference if like people were to ask for solidarity which you probably i mean like depending on your circumstances if you're able to give you probably give any of it now you like you could put a face to it you know the person who's asking for help and like why <laughs> and like what they're dealing with and that sort of stuff cool oh, no, no. okay that's cool i'm trying to think of um I could talk about like some other stuff that's generally happening in Tacoma. Like, yeah, go for it. DSA's yeah, been doing so. Go for it. One of the big things has been like housing because we had members of the Tiki Apartments who basically got like a, th I want to say it's like a three day notice <laughs> that they had to get out of their apartments. Those uh, are always lovely. Yeah. And um, yeah, and so that was obviously not cool. And the Tacoma DSA has done a lot of support for those folks, and then like housing rights in general in Tacoma. And we actually are fortunate in the city of Tacoma to have like a housing person on staff who people can reach out to if they feel like there's some sort of discrimination or there's some sort of maybe like your landlord is not treating you legally, right? And so there's somebody to actually reach out to, which a lot of cities don't have. So the city's actually been pretty supportive and they're actually willing to give us funds to do some of the work that we do. And then we actually have council member support as well from a couple council members. Awesome, that can help. For that. Yeah, yeah. So um, 
I mean, housing is a huge issue in the entire Northwest right now. And so we're fortunate to have some kind of, uh, you know, I'd say not like progressive politicians who look at housing as something that they want to they want to make their mark on. And so the Tacoma DSA has been one of the groups that's most willing and able to provide help. And so they're, they're okay helping us help other people. Awesome. How has like tenant organizing and like tenants unions, is there a push for that at all in Tacoma? Because there, there definitely has, has showed up around Portland. We did an episode on that a couple months ago, talked to the members who are doing that. Can, can you speak to uh, yeah, what just, Tacoma's up to? Just a little bit, because I've only been to a, like a couple of those meetings, and our person who leads that effort is Molly, and she didn't come down for, okay. for this. But uh, yeah, so there's definitely been an increase in the idea of like t- tenants' rights organizing and so much so that there is now kind of like texts that we've seen and email chains from landlords realizing that they need to get organized. <laughs> so that's that's how you know you're making your mark. Yeah, as I say, that's both a threat and also kind of a positive side because at least they realize, you know, they're like, they have to react. Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely a thing. And I mean, we had people who didn't make the ballot who ran in city council last year. We had some folks who were working class people who didn't make it that far, but when they were running, they were specifically talking about tenants' rights and specifically trying to take care of housing as like that was what they were running on. And again, you know, they, those folks didn't make it that far. But it's the like I bring that up just to say that like it's something that a lot of people are thinking about from city hall to just you know the neighborhood and apartment complexes and everybody is definitely wanting to do whatever it is they can to support housing. I don't say everybody because some people own stuff. And yeah. <laughs> You know, that's not their leaning. Just wrapping things up, how can folks get in touch? Or if anybody who's around the area wanted to get in touch with you or wanted to join in? Yeah, so I'd say our general meetings are the first Wednesday of every month. And thus far, it seemed like at King's Books, I think from 6 to whenever it goes or 7 to whenever it goes. I think it actually might, might start at 7. Yeah, it is 7. 7 and generally, like, it ends around, like, 9.30-ish. And that's probably like the main way, but then we also have the Tacoma DSA Facebook, Twitter. I think the the email address is kind of just it might be an info at Tacoma DSA or I can put it in the I can put it in the show notes too. Yeah, so. yeah, whatever that is. So each of the committees has their own at Tacoma DSA. So that's how to get connected with the group. Awesome. Any final words or anything you want to shout out or? Yeah, I think one of the cool things about Tacoma that I think we're going to see going forward, and and obviously it's something that we saw in this conference here where a lot of groups are talking about how they've been growing and like what kind of electoral strategies they want to have going forward. I think Tacoma group, and it's not just them because it's like Pierce County as well, we're looking at how we can meaningfully push candidates, push issues, and have a lasting kind of political impact going forward. And like we're setting up those processes now. So it'll be something that we're looking at happening starting this year. But I really think next year we'll probably have quite a few things going on that because we're putting in the systems in place right now to be able to do those those sorts of actions. Excellent. Uh, Sweet. Thank you for your time. But yeah, so overall, I think it went swimmingly, and I'm really excited to see um, what kind of stuff comes out of it, like how those relationships that comrades made with each other get stronger, like how our chapters can like work together more. Like I'm really interested to see what comes out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm interested to see what happens at the national convention, if this will help us have 
you know, an even better convention. Um, we'll see. Yeah, I hope so. I was say, even my own, in my own little way was able to um, find folks who were curious in, um, in, you know, here's how to be a leftist podcaster. Mm, yeah. And uh, was able to, you know, just talk to a couple people uh, after the, the Sunday debates and then, one of our social events uh, that happened right after was even able to um, to interview folks from uh, a handful of Northwest chapters, mm-hmm. but uh, but also with uh, with some other like uh, you know curious onlookers mm-hmm. from other people there just to kind of learn how to do this stuff. Yeah, that's the thing. We need a um, it's like we need a uh, we need we need a thousand podcasters uh-huh. and we need a million YouTubers. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was um, something that came up in the debate. Were you there for it? Um, uh, Clifford, who's a comrade that I actually got to spend a lot of time with, um, because me and his wife really hit it off. Um, I, he was one of the, one of the members I, I got to interview. Yeah, that's like, great. Uh, I'm so show. glad. Um, he's really fucking smart. And yeah, he had a really great point to make about how like the right is like very good at like radicalizing young people through YouTube, um, mass culture, mm-hmm. pop culture, and um, the way that they do that is by, you know, acquiring sort of like cultural cachet, like through pop culture and mass media, particularly video games and stuff like that. Right. And then just like peppering in like little like little worms on little hooks, like peppering in little hooks of like radical right bullshit, like not blasting people with it constantly, but just like sprinkling it in there for them to like kind of swim up and grab onto um and like i'm mixing my metaphors here but like then you know go further and further down that rabbit hole um like making them concerned about ethics game journalism (laughs) oh god oh i mean fucking gamergate was a huge canary in the coal mine um for everything that's fucking going on right now not just in popular media because of course then that spread to like comics oh yeah all that shit but Which is like had had a thing like that happen almost like 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 once a year since, yeah. hasn't it? Like, oh yeah, that shit keeps coming up. Oh yeah, um, but just overall, like the way that people are being radicalized by the right in this like this way that takes everyone by surprise, um, and so it's something that we actually need to learn from. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to learn. How to talk to people um, without how to talk to people and reach people without just like chewing their ears off about Marx like five minutes into the conversation, which like obviously I love Marx like Daddy Marx forever, but um, you know you have to connect with people on their level, right. and that is what the right is really good at doing. That was the point that Clifford brought up at the debate, um, and you know I think that socialists like we get so um upset we get so caught up in our own like morals and ethics and stuff that it's really hard for us to not just like immediately write someone off right um if their politics aren't great right the uh and we just had in fact just earlier today we we're just uh uh, interviewing Ben Burgess, who has a book coming out about that, mm-hmm. just called "Give Them an Argument," mm-hmm. which is prob- um, just about the fact that yeah, you you have to um, you at some point you can't just you can't just uh, uh, 
kind of morally condemn mm-hmm. and snark at people. At some right. point, um, you need you know you need something else there, right? Because eventually, you know, you, if because eventually, you know, not all of your arguments are going to be with people who uh, you just snark at. You, yeah. you have to work the stuff out. But if you don't have the ability to work that work it out, you just get you know Ben's point is you just get like left Twitter. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. Didn't even get me started. But it's like you know, on the one hand, like. For a long time, I have felt the necessity and the value of sort of like reclaiming morality for the left. Mm-hmm. Like the right sort of like monopolized this idea that they like were the moral group, you know, that they were standing up for like values. So there is something to be said for being like, no, it actually is more moral to like not just like extract as much life from this planet as possible to enrich, uh, select few mm-hmm. while m- billions of people you know suffer and die um that's morally wrong right um <laughs> but uh yeah you can't just fucking scold people all the time and be like you know no one likes nuns uh, or or like any sort of uh you know strict moralizing scolds scolds yeah i'm getting i'm getting a little into like gendered territory here which like i regret i've said nuns because i'm an ex-catholic so that's like where my mind went um but um you know people want to feel and when i say people like you know obviously i include myself and you we're all people right we all want last we checked yeah yeah we all want to feel heard and understood before someone goes about trying to like you know change our life or like you know change something that we perceive as like a core part of our identity right yeah validation first and then modification later (laughs) well that sounds so insidious but i mean it you know you have to have good conversations like yes um i don't know uh an interesting thing that happened in the beginning of the conference on saturday morning was people pairing off to talk about like their radicalizing moment or like their socialist moment, like when they like came into their identity as a socialist. Right. How did that go for you? I'm curious. I wasn't actually a part of it. I couldn't find anybody. So I went and talked, I talked to, uh, (laughs) so I talked to one of the, uh, one of the, um, one of the reps from national, Mm -hmm. uh, and and she was busily like also like trying to do the talk, but also trying to like answer emails too. So it's not necessarily the, um, the, uh, the best, uh, the best, um, the best interlocutor. Uh, yeah, we gotta kind of be present for that kind of conversation. Yeah, that's true. Um, but that wound up finding, you know, she kind of like, you know, handed me off to like another, um, like I think another local volunteer. So oh, nice. We, we got to talk there. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, I wish I could have kind of just like been around, like listening and absorbing what people said because i think it's very interesting what sort of like flips that switch for people Mm -hmm. um i think that it's not i think that a lot of times there's a lot of like passive absorption of information until something hits you at home and then you're like oh shit yeah and then and then yeah then the uh it changes then then things change yeah um for me and well, I can't speak for my husband, but for me, a big part of it was um, we moved to the Pacific Northwest from Texas. Um, 
which is not where either of us grew up. He grew up in Seattle. Mm. And coming back and seeing the way that Amazon has, like, utterly eviscerated that city um, was a huge fucking socializing moment. Radicalizing. Radicalizing moment, yes. Um, you know, it's... It was, you know, learning about what had been and what is going on there now. And also just like myself having lived in many cities, like I've traveled a lot and lived in different places, seeing the same thing happening everywhere. Every city is becoming completely um, like scavenged by these capitalists and becoming more like each other. Like, the more you go places in this country, the more every fucking place looks exactly the same. Yeah, the the, the, the same shit that happened to Austin yeah, was happening that, in, Ann, in Ann Arbor, only at a slightly different scale. Yeah, um, but at some point, the scales are all going to catch up with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's happening to Detroit now. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, yeah, pretty wild. When were you, When uh, what years were you in Austin? From 2011 to 2018. Okay, so a lot of the damage had been done by then. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, for sure. Like, when I got there, people were already sort of um, being pushed out and stuff like that, and Mm -hmm. it's only gotten worse. But again, like, the scale and, like, the rate of acceleration is, like, exponential because, you know, I... I guess actually I lived there, maybe it was like 2010 to 2017. I can't get the timeline right, but basically I've been in Portland for two years, so we must have left in 2017. Mm. Um, But uh, even just coming back after two years, um, it was mind-blowing how much had changed and how different the city looked in terms of just like, you know, buildings, people, um so much just yeah it's um it just keeps getting faster and faster right and it's kind of thing there's because there's no such thing as an infinitely expanding um (laughs) infinitely expanding um function or trend you know yeah it's kind of you know that that's it was some point you know what does it hit an asymptote or or (laughs) should say does it approach an asymptote yeah or do we hit uh or more likely, do we hit um, do we hit a system assist uh, a systemic cata- uh, catastrophic point? Yeah, um, yeah, I agree that the latter is probably more likely. Uh, I think part of why it impacted me so much um, coming to Seattle is because, in terms of geography, um, it's a lot more constrained. So, like the push out of like working class people is extremely obvious. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas like with a place like Austin, where there's like plenty of land to just continue expanding into, it like appears or feels like sort of like more gradual, Mm. less drastic, even though, you know, I don't think it's even really that different. Um, But yeah. Maybe in, yeah, only in, uh, only in scale, but not in type. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fun times we're in folks. (laughs) Yeah. To be concluded on the next episode of Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person.